I'm Liz with TeachStone, and this is Teaching with Class. We asked you to submit your questions around regard for student or child perspectives, and we had so many wonderful questions and ideas that we couldn't fit it all in one episode. And so this is part two of regard for student perspectives. I've brought Mary Margaret back to talk about regard during nap time and group time and what it looks like in different parts of the day. And I have Becky Danis with us to talk specifically about regard and how it aligns with CCEFL or the pyramid model. Hi, Mary Margaret. How are you, Liz? I'm good. Thank you for coming back and talking about regard with us. You are welcome. It, I know I'm not supposed to have a favorite, but this one is kind of my favorite dimension. I know. You say that all the time. I, I think I think you're allowed to have a favorite. I am. Okay. <laughs> because it just impacts every other domain and dimension yeah. in this in this measure. And I was saying to Sarah when we were talking about regard, this feels so silly to say, but when I was a teacher, I don't think anyone taught me about regard. And it didn't occur to me, at least my first or second year teaching, that I really should have regard for student (laughs) perspectives. It was more like, I have my lesson, I have my standards, I have my objectives, and I have to teach them. And um, And there's nothing wrong with that, because I mean, you do have standards as a teacher that you have to meet. Yeah. And so you're very cognizant of, like, I have these outside pressures and things that I have to get these kids to know yeah. and I think the trick is how do you incorporate where they're coming from into those plans because that lesson may go a different direction that takes them even deeper yeah and I think that we're afraid sometimes to trust children to to take the lead and when we do that they turn into members of a class community mm-hmm. instead of your subjects <laughs> yeah well and there's a difference between you presented the material and they learned the material right and I think you can't be a good teacher without flexibility right and, yeah. and you may need to teach them a lesson around um, volume and weight and measurement and that's great but what are they interested in and you know what do you know about that so the student expression is I think what really drives my um, thinking around regard and a lot of people misconstrue student expression that the child is just talking, but that's not how I see it with this dimension. It's because if you look at the definition, it's like, what is that teacher doing to elicit where their head is, where they're coming from, what they're interested in? And then with that understanding of where what interests them or how they see the world, then you can shape your lessons and plan your lessons around that. Yeah. So we got a lot of questions around regard when I put the the ask out Mm -hmm. and it seemed like one theme of questions was just how does regard fit into different times of the day and I do think that there are times of the day where it just sort of fits in seamlessly and you almost don't have to think about it and there are times where maybe it's not as obvious Mm -hmm. Uh, so maybe we could just go sort of through the day through some times of the day and you give me like this is where it's an easy place to offer flexibility or autonomy or um, student expression. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one of the times I think that people really struggle is meal time. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, as teachers, sometimes we don't have very much control over what the meals are and how they're served. If, um, you know, if you're in a cafeteria line or something along, mm-hmm. so you know, the thing that you have to understand is that you don't have to be perfect in every interaction and every dimension and every indicator all the time, but just try to build it into your day. So with a meal time, I would ask um, our listeners or ask a teacher to say, so what um, availability for them to have some say, some choice, Mm -hmm. some um, part of how that goes. So it might be, um, we've got to eat our lunch, we've got to get into the cafeteria and eat our lunch and finish our lunch and clean up our plates. Does anybody have any ideas on how we might do that? And let them tell you about that because they may not even understand (laughs) the whole purpose of that. Or giving them real jobs. So, you know, the tables need to be washed. The plates need to be stacked. Um, the bowls need to be passed around. The milk needs to be poured. And ask those children, how do you think we could do that? So you And you're listening to where they're coming from. Regard really um, is a strong um, piece of concept development and quality of feedback as well. Because then you're really starting to have those bigger conversations about like brainstorming ways that we could get the table clean and everybody wants to be the table cleaner but there's only room for there's only two sponges so how are we (laughs) going to solve that problem and let them talk about that so it does give them a little bit of choice and how they you know they become the leaders in that Mm -hmm. um but there's so many things that i see when i'm observing classrooms that the children could do that the teachers do for them Mm -hmm. and so i would ask myself that too like why why do you have to fix their whole plate? Why mm-hmm. why do you have to pour their milk? And what's in the way of that? Because sometimes there are like like physical things like the the pitcher's too big or the, mm-hmm. it's a gallon of milk. So think about how you could plan for that and talk to the people that you work with. Like maybe we could have small pitchers, maybe we could have serving bowls, maybe um, the kids could come up with who is going to be the they could come up with their own list of who's gonna be doing what. And then asking them questions when you can have a conversation with them while you're having a meal about what they have at home and how, to, how is it prepared and what do, how do you think you know, there's one toddler video where the um, teacher is playing it to having pizza and the let's just like how do you cook a pizza and the little boy just put it in the oven for 15 minutes 400 degrees or, oh, wow. I can't remember exactly how <laughs> she put it but you know he was telling her what he knows about pizza yeah. And so that's a, that's a teachable moment. Or, you know, in one video, um, the child says it's her birthday, and today she's going to be three, and tomorrow she's going to be six. <laughs> and so that tells us a lot about what that child understands about birthdays. And I can go into a whole other instructional support kind of conversation, but <laughs> just stopping for a minute and the focus, when I think of inflexibility and focus, student focus, you focus like, you lens, like there's a lens. Mm-hmm. So you look to see what are they interested in, and then try within that to flex a little bit. And if perhaps somebody's mom had a baby and everybody's really interested in feeding babies, I mean, I'm getting off the mealtime, I'm going to the centers, <laughs> you know, notice what they want to play with. Maybe you need to add more babies. Maybe mm. you need to add more doll clothes, um, you know, or dinosaurs. You know, all of a sudden somebody comes in and they've been to the Smithsonian and they're interested in dinosaurs. Mm. Then get some books on dinosaurs and then talk to them about that. But within those kind of big group times, there's still room for you to ask them what they think might happen, how can they help make this work, um, maybe during center time, I'm sorry, during circle time, they might want to choose, They like they don't want to sing, I don't know, wheels on the bus, they want to sing, who let the dogs out. <laughs> <laughs> maybe have a song book. Mm. So a 
you have, I was one, worked with one teacher where she had little index cards with a picture of a song and the children got to pick which song they wanted. And then she would put that out or there's a song book where the children get to choose what song they're going to do. And that can be done before um, you sit down, you know, having like if, if they're going to be the songbook person, maybe they, you could ask them before you go to circle time. Mm. Or if you have a certain book that you're trying to read. And it's around something like we were, we were talking a little while ago about, you know, it's about farms and pumpkins and fall and all of that. And, <laughs> and they want to talk about um, caterpillars. That's okay. You don't have to derail your, your thinking, mm-hmm. your conversation, but let them know when they can talk about caterpillars mm-hmm. and how and, and how would you like to share the catap- what you know about caterpillars with the group, and when we and give them that that knowledge that you are going to come back to it as a coder. If I hear that. I'm going to consider that regard. Mm-hmm. And I think for the most part, that's all the child wants. They just want sure. to know that they've been heard and that they're, they'll get to share their idea at some point. And adults are listening. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> just want to be heard. Just want to be heard. And I also think kids will amaze you with what they're actually able to do independently. Yes. I remember when I, my first job, one of my first jobs in high school, I worked in a childcare center. And the first room I was in was in the 18-month to two-and-a-half-year-old room. My first day, and it was lunchtime, and they had the food come in. And the 18-month-olds had a tray, and they served themselves. I'm nodding my head enthusiastically. (laughs) Brought their tray to the table, ate their lunch, and then they would clear their tray and get a wipe and wipe their hands and then go lay down on their mats. And I looked around like, and how did that happen? What? Who are these people? How did that happen? Taught that, right? sure, That's yeah. where teachers, like children like doing things for themselves. Yeah. And that it does something to their motor skills at the oh, moment. Sure. And they're planning. And, you know, maybe you have to go back and wipe the table again, yeah. but it's fine. I yeah. had a very similar experience. Lots of sweeping. Yes. <laughs> I was in a Montessori school and I was looking through the glass and the, the three-year-olds they had actual china and actual, you know, knives. Mm-hmm. And this little three-year-old got an apple and started to cut the apple up to eat for snack. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I was a director at the time. That I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And, and the director's like, no, just watch. If you teach them how to do it, yeah. they can do it. Yeah. And it taught me quite a bit. So I think we have to trust the children a little bit. Mm-hmm. And some children are not going to be able to have that much responsibility. Sure. But you scaffold that and teach them how. Sure. It's like hand-washing or anything else. And that shows regard because when you feel like you are self-competent. Because mm-hmm. uh, remember, we're in that emotional support domain where you feel connected and valued. When you are allowed to do things and you feel like you are competent, that only adds to your feelings of connection with your teacher and your classmates. Definitely. So mealtime, always a big one. Um, we had multiple people ask about both transitions and nap time. Oh, so, Thoughts around those. So nap. Um, what's the point of nap resting? Mm-hmm. What are some things? That, so I often see teachers putting the cots down and putting the blankets down and putting the books down and all that. And that, you know, sometimes rooms are tight and it's really hard to find that space for those mm-hmm. cots. Um, is there another way where maybe some of the children could be helping put the cots down while the other children are cleaning the tables? Can they go get, get the, you know, choose the books for their friends to put on the, on the beds? Could they um, choose the song that they want to hear or the story that they want to hear? Or you can also say, you know, do you, this is something I used to do with my daughter or with, you know, younger ones, like, do you want to um, take your shoes off before you get to your cot or do you want to take them off when you get to your cot? 
That's a choice, yeah. right? There's a choice. Do you want to put your blanket on um, yourself or do you want to put your um, sheet on yourself? Yeah. Know, which pillow would you like? That's all regard. Yeah. And they have, and that gives them a real choice. Sometimes you don't want to give them so many choices they can't manage it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, giving them opportunities with that, with nap time, you know, we need you to be, there's some kids that just don't nap, mm-hmm. you know, but there's a, I remember that was the saddest day of my life. I'm like, are you over <laughs> now? I'm like, are you kidding me? What am I going to do? But, you know, we know that it, it's important for the kid. You want them to know that it's important to rest. So how, what would be the best, how long do you think you need to lay still before we consider rest time? Or have, give them something else to do after they've, you know, committed to 10 minutes on the cot. Right. Why does everybody have to lie down? And that's restriction of movement. Mm-hmm. Of if you, you know, if you don't need to sleep, you can lay there and read your book. Right. You can play with this quiet puzzle. Right. And choose what, how you'd like to do that. Would you like yeah. a book or a puzzle? And I think that's something in nap as well that is really helpful. And then, you know, just the actual physical putting the beds down, bringing them up. Maybe they could choose what toys go on the table for later or what books, you know, as I mentioned before, books. And then transitions. There's so much room for regard and transitions. Mm-hmm. You know you have to get from point A to point B and mm-hmm. transitions within transitions. But you can ask them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's going to be circle time. Well, let's have a not circle time. So what, <laughs> how can we get down the hall um, quietly? And they can they can help you with figuring out that. So we could be um, snakes. We could crawl. We could walk backwards. Mm-hmm. We need to we need to find a way to, to get from outside to inside without letting anybody know that they're here. Whether we like, let's how can we sneak down the hall? They love that, and they yeah. become very creative. So that's brainstorming concept development. How you might be able to get down there. Other transitions, like we mentioned, getting ready for meals. That's a transition as well. Mm-hmm. So could they help with the plates or the cups or the napkins? Can they wipe the tables? Can they push the chairs in? They they like to do those things. Mm-hmm. And so many times we see these like helper jobs that are not really helper jobs at all. Mm-hmm. They're just such something that's checked off. But if you involve the whole group. In coming up with those ideas, not only are you giving them some support and choice and kind of leading the lesson, but you're also, again, infusing some concept development in there as well. And as students get older, you can have them even be in charge of managing their time in that transition. Of using a timer and it's time to rotate centers or a timer to know when it's time to clean up. And they can initiate that on their own and and have autonomy and so I don't. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of rotating centers. Well, but rotating to the next. Yeah, rotating from centers to right, to something time, else. Right. Absolutely, and like, it, you know, let them set the timer. Yeah. Or you can have a picture schedule and let them move the clip. You mm-hmm. know, the, all of those things really make them feel important. I mean, no, nobody. I can't think of any classroom or any kids that I've ever been around that don't like to play teacher. Oh yeah. You know, like <laughs> I think I was one of those. Like, okay, and you can tell a lot about what's going on in the classroom by the way your kids play teacher. So <laughs> we want them to play that teacher that's asking, you know, what would you like to do and how is this important to you? So it's easy to, to pull regard in, but it's really um, how is that teacher um, seeking out their interests? And it might be through student expression, but it also might be by being a good observer. What are they playing with? What are, What's going on out in the world that might be different? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and use that as a springboard for planning your lessons. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between autonomy and leadership? Somebody asked that they often see opportunities 
observe children being autonomous, but not necessarily observe opportunities for students to have leadership. I'm curious what you think sort of the difference is there. So autonomy is something that you can do by yourself mm -hmm. and on your own. Leadership is kind of connected to that because in a classroom, there are choices for them to do some things. So some of our markers are allowing choice, right? So that could be um, our materials available. Do they have to ask to get the books? Do they have to, you know, if they can't open a bin, that's going to take away that autonomy. Mm -hmm. Leadership might be where they can help somebody, mm -hmm. right? So, um, you know, Mary, Margaret, and Liz are trying to get the books off the bookshelf, and so they have to find a way to work together to do that. Or the teacher might say, Liz, why don't you be in charge of choosing the books, and Mary, Margaret, why don't you be in charge of passing them out? But having those choices, materials available, um, can they select where and how they play with materials? Mm -hmm. Because you learn a lot through observed factor flexibility and student focus, watching how they manipulate materials, and that gives you some a window into um, kind of where they might need some help with fine motor skills, allowing them to lead the lessons. So for one thing, is like picking attendance mm -hmm. or helping um, choose a book. You know, what order would you like to do that? Um, yeah. Who's the door closer? All oh, they, you know, they love all that the yeah. line leader and all that. But I mean, there's beyond that. Mm -hmm. There's opportunity for children to be leaders in the classroom. Maybe they can have teams. You know, like. You're going to have a t t red team and, and blue team, and you all have to um, come up with six different ways to clean up the block area. Or, you know, this team is going to do blocks, and this team is going to do dramatic playing. What do you have to do? Mm -hmm. Where you say, you know, look at this room. What do we need to do to get cleaned up? And let them tell you about that. That's all leadership. Um, can they put their own names? Can they check themselves in? Can they mm -hmm. check themselves out? That's also autonomy and leadership. You know, they're very connected. Yeah. Um, so that's one way that I would explain that. It's um, when you think of a leader, it's someone that helps guide your way. Mm -hmm. So what are ways that children could help guide other children? Again, back to that emotional support as part of that community. Like we, I don't want to pull the dimensions of emotional support too far apart because they really yeah. do relate to each other. Yeah. Well, I think we have a lot of regard to think about. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> All right, don't go away. We have a lot more regard to talk about. I have Becky with us, who has experience at just about every age level, as well as being a teacher, being an observer, being a coach, being a mentor, and now being a class trainer and specialist for Teachstone. So I saved one of our tougher questions for her. So this person wrote, I'd love to see more about how to link regard with the CSEFL solution cards or other CSEFL tools for toddlers and preschoolers. And first I had to Google what that was. And then I had to ask around about who knew anything about that. Apparently you are CSEFL trained. Can you tell us what that means? And then what you think about this question? Yeah, so um, the Center for Social Emotional Foundations for Early Learning uh, created a multi-module training for both pre-k teachers as well as infant toddler teachers um, so i sat through a training session which enabled me to conduct trainings on these different modules for birth to five um, and so when i heard that we had this question this question about using regard i uh i was excited that people are thinking about the overlap because there certainly is quite a bit so I think one thing to point out is for those of you that aren't familiar with the CSEFL 
concept or modules, it's based around the idea of a pyramid. And some people might have heard it referred to also as the pyramid model. Uh, but when we're looking at the base of that pyramid, we're looking at, um, first of all, having a, a well-trained, educated, and dedicated um, teaching staff. But above that, we're looking for um, the creating environments and strategies that support that social-emotional development of young children. And so I definitely see an overlap between regard for student perspectives and how a teacher can create a supportive environment. Some of the things that I really got excited about and that stood out in my mind when I heard this question was the idea in the um, class manual when we're thinking about regard, one of the indicators we look at is support for autonomy and leadership. And that's a huge area of overlap between the uh, pyramid model and the class measurement. So when we're looking at support for autonomy and leadership, we're looking at how teachers um, allow children to make choices in their environments, give them opportunities to lead lessons, and giving them opportunities for responsibility within the classroom. And so my first thought was about you know, having environments where children have choices, choices about what to play with, where to play with it, and how to play with it. And that definitely is something that's supported with the pyramid model. When uh, they talk about having spaces created where students can work in small groups or in pairs and giving them opportunities to make those choices so that they can um, feel like they have autonomy and, and direction in their day. Uh, the other thing that really stood out to me is with that support for autonomy and leadership. One of the behavioral markers we have there is giving students responsibility. And one of those responsibilities in a pre-K classroom is um, the responsibility to kind of negotiate peer relationships and mm -hmm. peer conflicts. Mm -hmm. And that the teacher supports that. And I was doing just a little bit of research on the pyramid model to refresh myself. And I came across with their What Works briefs that was really talking about the importance of teaching children those problem-solving skills. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was even part of the original question was how the strategy or solution cards can be used in a classroom to support that regard. And I think that support for autonomy and leadership right there is, is where, where that overlap happens. When students are given those visual cards, um, which for those of you that are not familiar with them, they're um, just small cards that have a picture of how a child might solve a social problem. So um, some of the examples were they can ignore the problem, they can say please, they can wait for a turn, they can play together. And so when students have a conflict in the classroom over materials or space, sometimes the immediate reaction of the teacher is just to solve the problem mm -hmm. for them. It, it feels easier to just jump in and take care of it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, sometimes a teacher will joke and say, oh, that, that toy is now in timeout. Mm -hmm. So it's not about the... It, so it, it definitely diffuses the problem, um, but it doesn't teach the students or the children how to 
negotiate when you have problems. It, mm -hmm. And that's a huge skill that, that we totally need as, as, as we grow. And so these solution cards can, instead of the teacher being the one who holds all the solutions, mm -hmm. the teacher can then turn the students to these choices that they can have. Um, when I was a preschool teacher, we used something similar and it was remarkably effective. So I might have to say something to the students like, wow, you guys look like you're having a problem. Do you need help? You want me to get the solution cards? And then suddenly it's less about I'm the teacher and I have all the solutions. Mm -hmm. And it's more about um, that they as students can come up with a solution that works for them. And it's amazing how good they are at it given the opportunity. I'm always shocked when you're like, oh, I see you're fighting over this toy. Like, what can we do? They really can come up with what feels like a fair solution to both of them more often than not. And yeah. I'm, it floored me every time. <laughs> I had this one example that, you know, these, these two boys were fighting over the one coveted whatever. Mm -hmm. And they were best friends and they they needed some help with this problem. So we got the solution cards and they decided they would take turns. I was you know, really excited about how they were able to get there themselves. And then one of the boys says, yeah, I'll have my turn today and you can have your turn on Thursday. Oh. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, that's a great idea. And I was like, oh no, that's never gonna work. Um, but two minutes later, they were both using the toy together. Mm -hmm. And so even though it seemed like a solution that was not gonna work, um, it completely did. And giving them that autonomy to make a decision that worked for both of them. And supported expression. I mean, they were able to talk about what they both wanted instead of just you taking the toy away and saying you were fighting over it. You don't get to play with it now. Yeah, exactly. And so the other one that the other indicator um, from the class measure I was going to really talk about was that student expression. And so uh, thinking about eliciting students' ideas on how to solve problems. Or even on, um, you know, sometimes in uh, free play, I would ask my students or the, the kids I was playing with there in dramatic play, um, you know, well, how long do I have to wait for this piece of food that you served me to, to be not too hot? You know, mm -hmm. how long do I have to wait for it to cool? And it's interesting, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll get the standard five minutes um, and it's just interesting to like kind of see where their mind is. I had this set of twins whose um, mom worked out of town Tuesday through Thursday. Mm -hmm. And so dad was the primary caregiver for um, those days. And they were playing in dramatic play and the sister was the mother and the brother was the father and I was the baby. Mm -hmm. And um, these two kids were a hoop, but they were a little bit of a handful. And the sister puts on the backpack and she says, okay, honey, I'm going to work. I'll be back Thursday. And she walks off. And the dad, I say to the dad, dad, what's for dinner? And he looks at me with a devilish grin and he rubs his hands together and he says, ice cream for dinner, popsicles for dessert. <laughs> and so just by eliciting that idea and uh, taking that role and playing with them, um, I was able to get a little peek into maybe how Tuesday nights <laughs> work after mom leaves for the week. Um, and then as that play went on, I, I cut, um, had other places in the classroom I needed to be. And I kept 
asking to leave if I could go to art class or if I could go to dance class so I could go check on other kids. And the dad kept saying, not until you're five, not until you're five. And so that really let me, you know, have an idea of his perspective as Mm -hmm. this four-year-old who is always getting told, no, you can't do that until you're five. You can take karate when you're five. And so I, I think that those are some really natural ways where we can see the pyramid model and regard overlap in such a such a seamless way. And it seems like anytime you're supporting their social emotional growth and learning, you're treating them with regard. You realize that that's an important skill for them to be an autonomous, independent person. Um, and so it's almost like you don't have to think about it. If you're doing one, you're probably doing the other. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're showing regard for student perspectives and you're giving them opportunities for um, leadership and to be autonomous and you're eliciting their points of view in genuine ways where you, you're, you really want to know about their, their points of view in the world, that's going to be definitely strong evidence of regard but it's also going to meet that social emotional need of um, preschoolers. And the other thing that's also worth mentioning is that the, you know, I mentioned that the base of the model or the base of that pyramid model is your effective teachers. And then I also mentioned the supportive environments, but in between that are the relationships that you build with kids. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways to build relationships with people is to really um, be interested in who they are as people. And that's a big piece of regard for student perspectives, is seeing children as actual individual human beings that you're curious about. And so I think that once you look at children that way and you approach your interactions with them in that way, you're definitely doing tons to support that social-emotional development and that's perfectly in line with what we see for regard. Awesome. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us for Teaching with Class. Log into the class learning community to let us know how we're doing and what ideas you think we should cover next. Bye.